routine every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, moving over from ScoreZag Score and taking over here at Locked On. This episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. I also want to thank you all for making this podcast your first listen of the day, and now, for some of you at least, your first watch of the day. That's right, folks. The YouTube channel is officially live. Welcome to those of you who are viewing this instead of just listening to it, or those of you who are doing both. Very much appreciated. You guys can all see the well-manicured beard, the shaved head. From here on out, we're keeping it clean. We're going to try to look as best we can because we're now going to be on video instead of just through your ears. Please, please, please search Locked on Zags on YouTube and subscribe to this show. We're really hoping to get over 100 subscribers before the first game against Texas or the big game, excuse me, against Texas. So please, please, please search it out that way. Uh, I'll post some links on social media as well. You can find me at ScoreZags Score. You can, of course, find the podcast at Locked on Zags. All right, today is a great episode to get going on the YouTube channel. It's another full episode of Andy Locks, a recurring episode where I grade your takes too hot, too cold, or just right. Of course, the idea comes from Goldilocks. Thank you to listener Christian for suggesting the idea. We have had an overwhelming amount of support for this idea. I, I thought it might take off. I thought we might be able to do a weekly segment out of it. It has been something that you all have been very, very interested in doing. I get multiple requests every single day. Hey, can you put this in for Andy Locks? I'm getting emails. I'm getting messages on Twitter. It's it's fantastic. It's honestly so great. I love this community. That's part of the reason I've been doing this podcast for so many years with ScoreZag Score and now here. And one of the things I love about it is the ability to interact with you all. That's why I love Mailbag Monday. But now having the ability to not just answer your questions, but hear your thoughts on the team and grade how I feel about them. It's a really awesome opportunity. I, I really love it. I hope you guys love it too. We got over 20 takes from you all today, uh, obviously with the start of the season against Dixie State a few days ago and now heading into this big game against Texas. I'm not surprised a lot of you have some thoughts about this team. So we're just going to get straight into it. This first section is all questions. Mostly they have a theme, as you might notice. This first question, or excuse me, this first take comes from MillerMike123 on Twitter, who says, Chet will get a double-double in every game this season. Well, I love that. Uh, I'm going to say just right on this one. I, I never really explained the the methodology here, I guess. I should probably do that. If I say it takes too hot, it means I think it's very, very unlikely to happen. It doesn't mean it's impossible. It just means that I really don't think it's likely. If I say it takes is just right, it doesn't mean I think for sure it's going to happen. If I say a take is too cold, that means I think it's probably going to happen most likely. Just right means it's a good hot take. It's probably not going to happen, but it's plausible. And that's kind of how I feel with this take. Chet's going to get a double-double most games. <laughs> he put up 14 and 13 against Dixie State. He, he basically had a double-double in the first half. I believe he was either a point or a rebound short. I'm not sure, but he was right there. But I think there's probably going to be a few games where he just he just has an off night. They're playing a big team. He doesn't get as many rebounds as he normally would. So I don't know about every single game that's really hard to do, but it also wouldn't shock me. He's that good, folks. And if he's healthy and he plays, you know, 25 plus minutes every single night, he could he could do it. 
These next two takes, one is also from Miller Mike one two three. The other one is from Heavy Do forty four on Twitter. The same, the, the topic everybody's been talking about, the take that I expected to see multiple times today. Chet Holmgren's going to get a quadruple double this year. <laughs> so I hate being the cold water person. I really don't like doing it. I think this is probably too hot, but barely, just barely. Mostly because 10 assists is really hard to do. Uh, obviously, 10 blocks is also very hard to do. He set or tied the Gonzaga record with seven blocks in his first game. So, you know, nobody in Gonzaga history has gotten 10 blocks in a game, according to recorded history at least. Chet obviously getting seven in his first game is a pretty good sign that he might be the dude to do it. Uh, it's also worth pointing out that this was probably the smallest team <laughs> that Gonzaga is going to play all season long. They did not have a ton of size. Their biggest guy was 6'8". Gonzaga is going to play other small teams. Obviously, they have Bellarmine, Alcorn State, Northern Arizona, teams like that where they probably don't have a ton of size on those rosters. So maybe he could get up to the 10 blocks, but 10 assists for a guy. He does distribute the ball a lot. It's clear that's the way that Gonzaga wants to utilize him in that Dixie State game. He was catching the ball at the high post. He was making entry passes to Drew Timmy or Anton Watson. He was kicking the ball out. He was doing the little dribble handoffs. All of that stuff could lead to him getting having 10 assist games. But doing that while getting the blocks, while getting the points, rebounds, it's really hard. It's, it's a really, really hard ask for Chet Holmgren to do. We've never had a player who I thought would even approach a quadruple double ever in Gonzaga's history. He could He could do it. He's going to get really close a couple times this year. Hell, he already got pretty close in his first game of the season. So I think it's definitely possible for Chet Holmgren to do it. I think this is too hot in that sense, but I, I like it. I think it's a good quality hot take. Next one, sticking with the theme, Chet Holmgren goes for 23 points, 14 boards, and 5 blocks against Texas. This comes from ZagUpOz on Twitter. That is really hot. And honestly, the biggest, the, the hottest part of this take is the 23 points. Uh, Chet had 14 points against Dixie State. I don't think we're actually going to see him top 20 a whole bunch this year. He got most of his points in the Dixie State game off offensive rebounds. He wasn't looking for his shot a lot. And that's okay. He was, like I said, he was a facilitator. He was a distributor. He was kind of playing that Tim Duncan role where he got the ball at the top of the key and then things happened off of him. Now, he obviously has the ability to go score on guys. There's no doubt in my mind that he's capable of doing that. But this team against Texas, Chris Beard's squad, they're going to give him more challenges than, I mean, obviously than he's ever faced. And they're going to be one of the toughest teams he faces this entire season. So for him to come out and get 23 in this game would be extraordinary. I don't think 14 boards is out of the question. I don't even think five blocks is out of the question, although that's going to be tough against a much bigger, more physical team, more well-coached team who's probably not going to be driving into him uh, kind of willy-nilly like Dixie State did. But I think 14 boards, five blocks, plausible. Doing that while scoring 23 points on a team with Julian Strother, Rasir Bolton, Drew Timmy, I, I just don't think it's as likely. So I'll say too hot, but... I think it's it's obviously possible. <laughs> Very few things are impossible with Chet Holmgren after, at this point. Next one, spicy hot take, uh, labeled by himself. That's Dan Frisbee Man on Twitter who says, will Gonzaga average around eight blocks per game? Yeah, I think that is pretty spicy. <laughs> it's a little hot. They barely topped eight against Dixie State. Obviously, Chet had seven of those. Uh, most teams are going to be bigger than that. Chet's really the old team's only shot blocker. Anton Watson is an okay shot blocker. Drew Timmy's a good, he's he's developed significantly as a rim protector, but he's not a great shot blocker. That's not really a part of his game. So I think that's tough. I think Gonzaga will probably average more blocks than they have a lot of other seasons, mostly because of Chet, because of how good of a shot blocker he's capable of being. But I think averaging eight is a really, really tough ask. 
Next one comes from Christian via Gmail. He says, last season, the Zags held opponents to 69.7 points per game. This season, how does 65 points per game land with you? Yeah, I think this is a little too hot as well. Uh, it's close. Uh, I mean, Dixie State had more than 65 points. They're not going to be one of the best offenses Gonzaga faces by any stretch of the imagina- imagination this year. Although, again, a lot of the WCC teams don't play particularly fast-paced. <laughs> St. Mary's isn't a particularly fast-paced team. BYU is not fast-paced. San Francisco and some of the other teams play at a bit higher pace, but I think Gonzaga's defense is just good enough to kind of mitigate that. So I think it'll be less than 70. I think it'll be... 67-ish range. 65 is tough. I do think it's doable, but that means that they will average holding teams to less points per game than Dixie State scored in the season opener. And I just have a hard time quite wrapping my head around that being a potential option for this team. Next one comes from Drew Timmy's stash on Twitter. He says, this is the best defensive team Gonzaga has ever had. Yep, this is just right. This kind of fits with the whole theme of this segment up to this point. Uh, it's about Gonzaga's defense, mostly about Chet Holmgren, of course. Uh, but yeah, I think there's a real, very realistic chance this is Gonzaga's best defensive team of all time. And it's worth pointing out, I, know, I think a lot of people look at Gonzaga and see a team that has primarily been offensively focused that hasn't usually been one of the best defensive teams in the country. And that's not always true. They've had, they've had really, really good defensive teams in years past. The 16-17 team that went to the national championship, lost to North Carolina, that was one of the best defenses in the country. This team is going to have to compete with that team. They're going to have to compete with some of Gonzaga's other teams from years past as well. But with Chet Holmgren, with Hunter Salison, Nolan Hickman, and of course Anton Watson on the wing, with Andrew Nemhard and Rasir Bolton looking like at least capable defensive players, I think there's a very realistic chance this is the best Gonzaga defensive team in school history. All right, the Chet Holmgren-Gonzaga defense takes are done. First segment done and dusted. Second segment, we're going to be grading even more listener-submitted hot takes. Before we get there, though, today's episode is sponsored by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect. A place where classmates can meet up for a study group knowing they'll have dependable Wi-Fi and endless supplies of French fries and McFlurries. Win or lose, it's a place where teammates, competitors, the home team, or the away team can come to refuel and recharge. It's the place where you always look forward to stopping at a long road trip to rest your legs. Growing up, for me, it was the place to go for post-game celebrations, and for a while it even became a pre-game destination because of their delicious breakfast menu. So head to your local McDonald's to refuel and reconnect. I'm loving it. All right, segment two, we got a lot more anti-locks, your takes, being graded by me here on Thursday ahead of Gonzaga's huge game against Texas. We're going to get right into him. This first one is another one from Christian via Gmail. He says, on the offensive end, last season the Zags averaged a staggering 91 points per game. This season, how does 86 points sound to you? Yeah, so... This is kind of the theme of this segment a little bit here is Gonzaga's outside shooting, obviously an issue. I think it's it's tough to know. 86 points is probably a lot. I think this is a little bit too hot. I don't think it's crazy, though. It's right on the border of being just right. Um, defense leads to offense. That's a big thing here. Yes, Gonzaga does not have the shooters that they had last year. No Corey Kispert, no Joel Eiei, no Jalen Suggs. A lot of offense left this team last year. And they added a ton of defense with 
you know, aforementioned Anton Watson, Hunter Salas, Nolan Hickman, all of those guys, great defensive players. Of course, Chet Holmgren, an elite, ridiculous defensive player. So that's going to lead to more offense. They're going to get more fast break opportunities, more steals, more of that type of offense. Meanwhile, Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy are going to be absolute forces in the paint. They're going to be menaces on the offensive glass, which leads to more points. So I think this team's still going to, they're not, they're not going to struggle to score as much as some people may think they are because they don't have the outside shooting. But three points is worth more than two points, and losing a lot of three-point shooters makes it hard to average up over 90 points per game. I think 86 is pretty close. I might change my tune from this being too hot to just write because I think they can probably get in there, especially with their schedule with the WCC. Hopefully being better than it's been in years past, but still not being on the level of Gonzaga for the majority of the teams that they play. So they're going to be right around there. I think this is a pretty good guess, pretty good gamble there. Next question, another one from Christian. He says, the Zags will have at least one game with seven players in double figures. Yeah, this is just right. I think this. Is, I think there's a very good chance this happens. Uh, they had five against Dixie State, uh, and Hunter South had nine. So they were one point away from having six players do it in the season opener. It's more likely to happen against teams like Dixie State, like Alcorn State, Bellarmine, those kinds of teams, because A, the those teams are not as good, so it's easy to score more points. You get more turnovers, things like that. And B, more players play. You know, you're going to play some guys more minutes per game. You know, Salas and Hickman probably play a little bit more against teams like that. Even guys like Ben Gregg and Caden Perry might get six or seven minutes in those games as opposed to the three or four they might get in some of the more competitive games. Seven minutes might be enough for Caden Perry to get 10 points, if we're being honest. If he gets a couple runouts, gets some alley-oop dunks, like he could do it in that kind of game. So I do think the Zags will have at least one game where seven players score in double figures. I'm not dead set on it. I think it's still a pretty hot take, which is why I have it just right. But I think it's possible. Next one's from Upper95215 on Twitter. He says, the Zags will get a revenge for a loss earlier in the season during the Final Four. So effectively, somebody Gonzaga loses to this year will be who they rematch against in the Final Four. <laughs> it's obviously a hot take just because everything lining up that way is hard to predict. They don't always, the people who make the brackets don't always like to have those kinds of rematches, but it would make some sense to get that going. I think this could absolutely happen. I'm going to say just right even though I think the actual odds of it happening are pretty slim. Gonzaga probably doesn't go undefeated against Texas Duke, UCLA, Alabama, Texas Tech, like their really, really ridiculous schedule that they have. That's a lot of tough games that they're going to play. A lot of those teams could be in the Final Four. (laughs) Duke, certainly. UCLA, certainly. Texas, absolutely. Alabama, Texas Tech, maybe not as likely that they're in the Final Four or as likely that Gonzaga loses to either of those teams. But it would not surprise me if things come together in a way where Gonzaga gets a chance to redeem themselves against one of those teams that beat them early in the season. Next one comes from Corey Bishop on Twitter. says, I just rewatched the Final Four game versus UCLA. And I believe if that arena was full of fans, it would be a top three game of all time, regardless of sport or level. Oh, man, I love this take. I love that game more than anything in the world. One of the most fun games I've ever watched in my entire life. I think this is probably too hot. It was not a championship game. It's really hard to be one of the three greatest sporting events of all time if you're not talking about a championship game. Yeah, it was awesome. Back and forth throughout the game. Tons of great individual performances. Goes into overtime. Incredible shot by Jalen Suggs. You all don't need me to rehash this game. You watched it. But I don't know if I could say it's top three. The fans would have helped. Like, I get I get the point that Corey is making here because if that place was just bumping and rocking the entire time and the crowd just went belligerently crazy after Suggs' shot, it would be even more memorable. But again, not a Super Bowl, not a World Series Game 7, not an NBA Finals Game 7, not even an NCAA championship or a bowl championship game. 
it's going to be hard to be a top three sporting event of all time over those events. But if you're talking about like semifinal games, hell yeah, it might already be. It might already be in that in that conversation. Next one comes from Christian. If the WCC all-conference team is 10 players, the Zags will have five players on that team. This is too cold. This is too cold, my friend. I think that's almost certainly going to be the case that the WCC team is 10 players long. I mean, you think Drew Timmy, Chet Holmgren, Andrew Nembhard, Rasir Bolton, Julian Strother. Like, are there six other players in the WCC definitively better than that group? No. You have Alex Barcelo, who will almost certainly make it. You have Eli Scott from LMU, who's fantastic. Jamari Bouye from San Francisco, extremely good. Tommy Cousy or Daniel Fotu from St. Mary's. If those schools, you know, St. Mary's does as good as some people expect them to do, they could be in that conversation. Um, there are certainly other players that I'm not thinking of. Yusuf Brankic had 29 points in the season opener for Santa Clara. Maybe he becomes a part of this conversation. It's hard, obviously, that they don't want to give Gonzaga all of the roster spots uh, for these WCC all all teams because they, you know, it, it, is Gonzaga's sixth best player? Does he deserve it over, you know, San Diego's best player? Like, it's hard to say. Obviously, Gonzaga's sixth best player is probably better, almost certainly better. But do they, you know, if, if the guy, if Joey Calcaterra at San Diego averages 13 points and, you know, four assists and, you know, Gonzaga has Hunter Salas average nine points and seven rebounds, like, does that... Is that better? Like, I don't know. It's it's tough. It's a tough decision that they have to make every year. But if the team is 10 players long, I think the Zags are going to have at least five of them. Next one. USF or LMU finishes ahead of St. Mary's this season, also from Christian. This was submitted. I think it's important to note. This was submitted before LMU got their bell rung by a school called Chattanooga in their season opener, which probably means this. I'm guessing this may not have been submitted had that game already happened. Uh, USF looked fantastic. And their season opener, so did St. Mary's. Both those schools look very good. Uh, I think USF finishing ahead of St. Mary's is absolutely possible. I say that's just right. LMU, no, it's not going to happen. I'm, it, everybody wants LMU to be good. I get it. Stan Johnson, the good coach. Eli Scott's a really cool uh, player, a good guy. I want them to be good. It's fun when schools that are not <laughs> St. Mary's and BYU are good. The only school that I think has got a chance of it this year is USF. Next one comes from Mark via Gmail. He says, BYU will underperform this year and finish below second place in the WCC despite returning super senior Alex Barcelo. I just right. <laughs> this was also submitted before the first game of the season where BYU looked pretty bad for about 37 minutes <laughs> against Cleveland State. Cleveland State, not a good basketball program, has almost never been a good basketball program. Shout out former Miami Heat World Series or NBA Finals champion Norris Cole, who I weirdly remember went to Cleveland State. Uh, but yeah, I think... I think this is just right. I think BYU could underperform in terms of them being a top 35, top 40 team, which is where a lot of people have ranked them. I've even seen some outlets that have them as a top 25 team going into the season. I think they underperform that. I think they still finish as a top 75 team in the country. I think there's a chance they still finish as a top 50 team. And frankly, I still think they're going to finish second in the WCC. I don't think anybody like St. Mary's could. They could overtake them, but I don't think that they will. So I think ultimately you're going to have BYU still be the second best team in the conference. But I think they're also going to underperform. So it's a little bit of both. It's a bit of a mixed bag there for that one. Next one, sticking with the WCC theme. This is from Old Zag Fan on Twitter. He says, Portland is better than 225 in Ken Palm by the end of the season. And he put a note, I really wanted to say 200, but that might be too hot. <laughs> Yeah, man, uh, 225 is probably also too hot. Um, and this is from somebody who worked at UP, who wants UP to be successful, who was happy that they made the coaching decisions that they made this offseason. 
really hard time to gate really hard team to gauge i mean they lost every single scholarship player all of them are gone so like how do you know how a team's going to do obviously ton of gelling to do they did bring in multiple players from eastern washington who have experience with shantae leggins obviously the new coach so that helps they didn't look too bad against arizona state they they lost by 16 which is not great obviously but they shot really well from the free throw line they Played pretty good defense for most of the game. It was closer than the final score actually indicated, but they had a ton of turnovers, which is not surprising with a bunch of young players and a bunch of guys who've never played basketball with each other. You're going to see a lot of turnovers in that regard. If the shooting ticks up a little bit, if they control the turnovers, top 225 is maybe doable, but I still think this is too hot. I think this is maybe a two-year project. Next season, could Portland be in the top 225? Yeah, I think it's fairly likely, or at least fairly possible. This year, I'd be pretty darn surprised if that happens. All right, so this is a reminder. We're going to continue to do this segment every Thursday if people like it. It's so far, it seems like people are a big fan, so please send me feedback. Whenever you have any, if you have any takes that you want me to talk about on the show, please submit them to me. I'll put them in the notes. I'll get them going. I record on Wednesday evenings, so you get them to me before then. I get them in for Thursday's show. Coming back in the third segment, we're going to grade even more listener-submitted hot takes. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Bet Online. Bet Online is back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridironers. Teams are back on to start another football season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a newly updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. All right, third segment, more listener-submitted hot takes or medium takes or just right takes, depending on how I feel about them. This first one comes from Havila Benjamin on Twitter. He says, Rasir Bolton will be a non-factor against Texas because Courtney Ramey and Andrew Jones have played against him and know how to shut him down, as well as Chris Beard having game planned against him before. Yeah, I don't see this at all. I understand what you're saying, um, but Bolton's in a completely different role than he was at Iowa State. At Iowa State, he was the primary ball handler. He was asked to be the facilitator. He was also asked to be the team's leading scorer. He was asked to do everything. He was asked to do literally everything on the basketball court. And he had success. Obviously, he was a talented player there, but the team did not because they didn't have enough pieces around him. Now he's a complimentary piece on a roster that has a ton of talent around him. Obviously, Drew Timmy, Chet Holmgren, Andrew Nembhard, Julian Strother, etc. And he's asked to play more of a two-role, more of a drive-to-the-basket guy. He's not asked to facilitate. He's not asked to run or lead the offense. I don't think that these guys having guarded him in the past is really going to matter all that much. I think it will help a little bit. Like, I'm not saying it's a completely, like, irrelevant. They have seen him play basketball before. But we saw this, if you recall. I don't remember the team that Gonzaga was playing, but it was a team that had played North Texas a bunch. And then Ryan Woolridge was suiting up, and he was playing against them. And the team, they kind of had this game plan of, we're going to leave Woolridge open. He's not a good three-point shooter. And he hadn't been a good three-point shooter because he, he was the focal point of opposing team defenses every time they played because he was the best player on that team. And Woolridge 
torched them, absolutely torched them. This was not an opponent on the caliber of Texas. I don't want to say it's the same situation, but there are some similarities. Bolton is in a different role on this roster than he was at Iowa State, and I think that that makes it makes the previous game planning against him not nearly as relevant as it would be had he been in a similar situation. This next one comes from a Twitter DM. He says, Timmy isn't even in the discussion at the end of the year for player of the year, and Holmgren is going to get all the accolades. Yeah, this is too hot. Uh, I don't think really either of these things are going to happen. For starters, if you if you are unanimously picked as the preseason national player of the year by basically every publication, you will always be in the discussion. This season will not end with Drew Timmy out of that discussion. He would have to have a colossally bad season or get hurt for that to be the case. If he plays even 80% as good as he does last year, which I, he's going to do better than that, he's going to play as as good as he did last year most likely, he is still in that conversation. In fact, he can play worse than he did last year and probably still win it just because he's the name brand, he's recognized, all that stuff. On that same token, freshmen don't win this award very often. Obviously, there are other awards that freshmen can win, and I, don't, and I think Chet Holmgren will squarely be in the conversation for as many awards as he can possibly be because of how talented he is, what the impact we saw him have in his first game. But I don't think he's going to get accolades over Drew Timmy. I think Timmy's still going to be the National Player of the Year conversation. I think Chet's got some competition, even for Freshman of the Year. Paolo Banchero from Duke looked excellent in his first game. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that, that Chet is the national freshman of the year that he's the player of the year any of that stuff he had a really good first game he's going to have a really good season so is drew timmy i don't think that holmgren's going to steal or take any of the awards away from the big the big fella in his third season here uh, at gonzaga this next one comes from jacob quarter two on twitter he says if this team does not improve its shooting we will not be a final four team similar note here from navy zag he says this team will lose three non-conference games due to poor shooting so I assume both of these takes are referring to three-point shooting and not just overall shooting, which is, in fact, quite good. Gonzaga is going to have a really high field goal percentage this year because they take a lot of shots around the rim. They get a lot of fast break points. But if we're talking three-point shooting, I, I'll take the second one first. I cannot imagine the three-point shooting impacts us for three non-conference games. Yes, there's some tough non-conference games. Texas is going to be tough. I think it's pretty realistic that Gonzaga loses to Texas. I hate saying it. It's the next game. Gonzaga being one and one would be hard to swallow, but it's it's a really tough team. They're really experienced. It's Gonzaga's first real test of the season, and the three-point shooting has not showed up. I think it's possible, but I don't see them losing two other ones. Duke's tough. UCLA is tough. Alabama's tough. Texas Tech's tough. Like, I have a tough schedule. They're not going to lose three of those games. Gonzaga, the three-point shooting is a problem, but the defense is so much more improved. And I think... It's easier to look at something like three-point shooting getting worse and, and see that more than it is to see defense improving. You know, the, the, the metrics for three-point shooting are easy. They went two for 20, and last year they went seven for 20. They're worse. That's 15 points. They're 15 points worse. It's really easy to kind of make those connections. I'm not saying that that's the way everybody's thinking about this, but it's easier to see that, whereas the team's defensive improvements are not as easy to see. You can see more steals. You can see more fast break points, kind of, but less people look at those numbers, and they're not always as directly related to the topic here. But Gonzaga's defense is way better, and I think it mitigates a lot of the losses they have in the three-point column. Not all of them. This is not going to be as good of an offensive team as last year's team. I already said that. I believe that. I've believed that for a long time. I don't think that the lack of three-point shooting is so detrimental that it'll cause them to lose three non-conference games. I think that's too hot. It's more likely to impact them as being a Final Four team. 
I still think Gonzaga makes the Final Four. No, nobody in the country can handle this front court capably. Nobody. There are some good teams in this com- or in this country that can play Gonzaga really tight. And there's and the everything's a crapshoot when you get to the NCAA tournament. They could still lose. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I don't think there are teams that can match up with them capably in the front court. And I don't think Gonzaga's three point shooting. A um, part of this is this is more of a statement than it is a take. If this team does not improve their shooting, we will not be a Final Four team. I think it. That is very, very possible, but I think Gonzaga's three-point shooting is going to improve. They're going to get better. Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman are going to improve as outside shooters as they get more comfortable with the college gamers. Sear Bolton already looks excellent. Julian Strother has only made one. He's going to be a much bigger factor in the three-point line. Chet Holmgren is 0 for 2. And for three-pointers in his career, he's going to get more involved in that area of the offense. I have no doubt about that. And I think, you know, Andrew Nampart is going to, we're going to start to see that a little bit more from him too. So I think that they are going to improve if they don't. Yeah, it'd probably be pretty hard to make the final four with shooting as, as anemically of they, as they have through the first two exhibition games. And of course, uh, against Dixie State, but I think they're going to improve. I also don't think that the three point shooting is going to cause them to lose three games in the non-conference slate. Next one comes from Christian. He says, the Zags will eclipse a hundred points three times during the season. Too cold. That is too cold, my friend. They're going to do it more than that. Uh, I know that the three-point shooting is a problem. I know that this is not the offense that they had last year where they eclipsed 100 points quite a few times. But defense leads to offense. And with that half-court trap that they run, they get a lot of turnovers that way. They're causing a lot of movement on defense. They're getting a lot of runouts, a lot of fast break. I think we're going to see a lot of zone. And I think Gonzaga showed that they can very effectively stop a zone defense by just hammering Chet Holmgren in the middle, having Hunter Salas cut down on the baseline, I think that this team is going to score a lot of points. I don't think they're going to be as good of an offense. I've said that already. I do think that only asking them to hit three, 100 points three times when they have Alcorn State and Bellarmine and Northern Arizona and Portland and all these teams on the schedule, they're going to do it. They're going to do it more than three times. I believe that. Two more before we finish on Thursday's show here. This one comes from Thomas via Gmail. He says, Matthew Lang will play more minutes than Martinez Orlowskis this year. I'm going to say just right because I think it's possible, but I don't really see it, uh, to be honest. Scholarly guys, scholarship guys almost always are going to come in the game first. You know, Matthew Lang is a walk-on. He's a, a very well-respected walk-on, a, a guy that fans love, a guy that players love, all of that stuff. You know, the next in a long line of fantastic walk-ons at Gonzaga with P-Mog and uh, Rem Bacchimus and uh, all of those guys, Jack Beach, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think he's going to play more than Martinez Orlowskis. I don't know if Gonzaga really has Orlowskis in the plans going forward. I don't know if they're expecting him to step into a rotation role next season or the season after that. It doesn't look like it, if we're being honest. I hope that he finds a way or he finds a way to transfer to another school if that's what he wants to do. But for this year, he's not going to play a lot. I think he'll come in before Matthew Lang, but I think their overall minutes per game by the end of the season are going to be really close, which is why I say this is just right. This last question comes from Havila Benjamin, his second of the show. He says, Gonzaga loses a game to a team in the WCC that is not BYU or St. Mary's. Nope. <laughs> like, like, if I'm wrong, I'll eat crow on this happily. But who? Who would it be? USF's the only shot, the only team that has a shot at beating Gonzaga. And I know there's a lot of people who are around my age who are Gonzaga fans who, you know, get a little sweaty when they think about <laughs> playing USF, particularly playing USF at War Memorial in San Francisco because they beat Gonzaga like four years in a row. They haven't beat Gonzaga in San Francisco in like seven years which makes me feel A, old, and B, <laughs> reminds me that Gonzaga's got a pretty good stranglehold on everybody in this conference outside of BYU and, to a lesser extent, St. Mary's. St. Mary's has clipped them in some key times in the last few years, but really they have pounded the crap out of every other team in this conference. And 
while I think the conference is gradually getting better, none of them can hold a candle to Gonzaga. USF's got some good outside shooting. They have some good experience. They're well coached. They got a, a tiny chance. They don't have enough size. I don't think anybody in the conference can stop Drew Timmy or Chet Holmgren. I know the three-point shooting is a question mark, but this team is so good defensively that you would have to catch absolute fire from beyond the arc, like 70% from three, and also hope that either Chet or Drew or both of them have a bad game to have a chance of beating them. And I just, I don't think any non-BYU or St. Mary's team is going to is gonna beat Gonzaga this year. I'm not sure that there's going to be too many close games. USF's got the best shot, but I, I would not be betting on it. All right, thank you so much for indulging the Andy Locke segment. Thank you so much for not only listening, but watching the first time on the on the podcast on YouTube now. Uh, check it out. Uh, go to YouTube and search Locked on Zags. Please subscribe if you can. Uh, we got a great rest of the week coming at you. Friday is going to be a fun guest coming on the show. He's going to preview Saturday's tilt against Texas, somebody who's very familiar with the Longhorns program. Of course, we got Mailback Monday coming up next week as we get into more games right here on the Locked on Zags podcast which is available wherever you get your podcast and now available on YouTube. Another reminder, podcast will be podcast links, excuse me, will be available on Twitter at locked on Zags and on my personal Twitter account, which can be found at scorezags score. Finally, thank you again for making this show your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day the Locked On NBA podcast. You can get all your daily NBA updates from a variety of league experts while checking in on your favorite Zags playing at the next level. Thank you all for listening and for watching and go Zags.